Michael Ostrunk here. I'm with Mandy Smithberger. She's director of the Center for Defense Information at POGO. How you doing, Mandy? Not too bad. How are you? It's good to see you. Good to see you. So uh, you guys have a great new report out called Brass Parachutes, Defense Contractors Capture of the Pentagon Officials to the Revolving Door. Well done on the report. Thank you. Um, I'd like to read just a paragraph from it to kind of set the stage to, to kind of in the historical context so this is not something new. So on page two of the introduction, it says, in his 1961 farewell address, President Dwight D. Eisenhower warned that the influence of the military industrial complex could, quote, endanger our liberties or democratic processes, unquote. The revolving door of the Pentagon officials and senior military leaders seeking lucrative post-government jobs does exactly that. It often confuses what is in the best financial interest of the defense contractors, excessively large Pentagon budgets, endless wars and overpriced weapon systems, with that which is in the best interest of the military effectiveness and protecting the citizens. So what you are talking about in your report is nothing new. You're just highlighting the most recent edition of the revolving door. And, and as you actually acknowledged right before we went on air, that uh, in, in the 50s, there was how many hearings on this issue? There were 25 hearings held by a subcommittee of the House Armed Services Committee on this issue. And how many hearings recently? This is 2019? Uh, we have not seen any recent hearings on this issue, unfortunately, though I will say uh, HR 1, which was just passed by the House, does include ethics reforms that will address a number of the issues we identify in this report. Because while we think the problem is particularly pernicious at the Pentagon, it's certainly a government-wide problem. It's certainly the kind of swamp that President Trump referred to as to why a lot of taxpayers aren't confident about the decisions being made in Washington. And you actually quote President Trump when he was running for office as someone who was opposed to the kind of revolving door. But now we're 2019, we're a couple years into his administration. So let's talk about the actual revolving door which unfortunately continues to revolve. Um, and you mentioned that there hasn't been any hearings, but it has been acknowledged that it is a problem. And I'll, and I'll quote Senator, former Senator McCain in 2017 during uh, a SASC hearing, uh, when a actually I think uh, Shanahan was being um, through the process. He says, um, <clears throat> Uh, there's concern that the Department of Defense was too close to and dependent on too much on the large contractors, and he kind of off-the-hand remarks said 90% of spending comes goes to five different corporations, known to Senator McCain. Now, that number is not necessarily correct, but he was acknowledging that he, he shared concerns that you have, that these corporations have way too much power, and there is a revolving door. So, talk about the revolving door. Yeah, what absolutely. In your report. And Senator McCain has ha uh, you know long held concerns about this issue, he actually required the Department of Defense to create a database of their own revolving door. Unfortunately, that has never been made available to the public, and so that's one thing that we think that the department should do. But some of our big concerns when it comes to the revolving door is we want to make sure that whenever Pentagon officials are making decisions about how much money we spend, who should win a contract, how to manage that contract, that they're doing what's going, uh, what will make us most effective and not just helping them to get their next job. We think that when you don't have better policies around this, you see competition being hurt, you see a lot of kind of self-dealing. We see, I mean, none of our weapon systems are you know, on time. None of them are at cost. The system as it stands right now isn't working and we need to look at why it's not. 
you mentioned the database is the AGIR. Is that a correct yeah, way? AGIR. <laughs> it's the Government Employment Advice Repository. It, it was created from the 2008 NDAA. As you already acknowledged, it wasn't, it's not public. No. But not only is it not public, but the IG says it, it is incomplete, or at least a few different IG reports right. say it's incomplete. What does the database actually, what information do you know about that the database does have, although it might be incomplete? Sure. So uh, we know, for example, at least initially, the NSA thought that they were exempt from having to follow this. Um, nice. Which is not Congress's <laughs> understanding. <laughs> the, what this database keeps track of is ethics opinions. So anytime uh, someone who is, is leaving the Department of Defense to go work for a defense contractor of a certain size, usually around $10 million or more, or if it's a company that they might have worked with in their previous position, they need to get an ethics opinion that they're not going to be violating any federal laws when they do so. And this database is keeping track of those opinions. We are concerned both that it's not complete and that it's not available to the public. So we created our own database. It is living. Um, you know, this report summarizes what our initial findings are. Uh, and the one of the interesting things that we found when we reached out to some of these uh, senior officials for comment is they told us that their new employers had stricter standards than the department did that they or that even their own personal ethics put more constraints on them than the law did so i don't think there's anyone who looks at this honestly and says oh we really have a system that's protecting the integrity of government decision making shocker (laughs) (laughs) And, and quite unfortunate both for taxpayers and the effectiveness of the department of defense and the various branches um, there's one really gross example you give in, in your report that I want to discuss kind of and then set it aside because it's not really the gross examples that are concerning to you, it's the more subtle ones. But for the gross example, can you talk a little bit about the uh, Principal Deputy Undersecretary of the Air Force, Darlene Drunyan, and her yeah, case? So, uh, Darlene Drunyan. So Drunyan. she was an Air Force acquisition official who went to go work for Boeing after she left. The interesting thing is at the time, uh, we at the Project on Government Oversight were concerned because of this kind of revolving door issue, and it looked legal initially because she was going to a different division of Boeing, and because it wasn't the division she had worked with before, it seemed to be above board. What we learned after the fact, though, is that she was negotiating contracts, specifically the Boeing tanker lease is one, but we also saw in the C-17 program. So negotiating both for her own employment and employment for family members. So that broke the law. She went to jail. But there are a number of ways that, you know, but for learning that there was that quid pro quo occurring, her going to a different division of Boeing would have been perfectly legal. Okay. But that's an example of a really gross violation, clearly against the law. She went to prison for it. Your concerns are, are different than that because she went to prison. Your concerns are more subtle than that. And you talk about ethical loopholes in your report, and you, and you give two different areas that need to be looked into. Um, one titled, Senior Officials Face Few Limits. Can you give me some of the examples of the few limits that they face? Maybe some of the examples of people? Sure. <clears throat> so one of the notable examples is former Secretary of Defense James Mattis. No. <laughs> so after he <clears throat> left the department, um, Previously, when he was the head of Central Command, he went to join the Board of General Dynamics, which is one of the top five contractors for the Department of Defense. That was not something he was prohibited from doing, 
One, because as a board member, he's not going to be necessarily lobbying his former agency and most of the restraints on what you can do are what you can do as a lobbyist. And the second thing was is that usually uh, for senior level officials, they think that you aren't quote unquote personally and substantially involved in these kinds of decisions. So you don't have very many restraints on you, even though at the most senior levels, you're making the big decisions, and it might not be about a specific contract, but you're certainly making decisions that these companies have a financial interest in. Wish you would have given me a different example than Mad Dog, <laughs> <laughs> who I like. But another, <laughs> uh, another ethical loophole that you talk about is lobbying restrictions that are overly narrow and miss, quote, behind-the-scenes work. And uh, another kind of subheading of that is it's not lobbying, it's business development. Right. One of the things we were very surprised to see is how many people were going into these kinds of business development roles. So a lot of the rules and laws as they apply are constrained what you can do based on work that you did when you were at the department. Creating new business, though, is, and so they can essentially be in the kind of sales division. But certainly from their former position, they know what kinds of programs the department might be developing in the future, where there might be gaps. And this is all, you know, information that they can use to the, their unfair competitive advantage. And one of the things that we think is important to consider is look at how the private sector protects its own interests. They put in place things like non-compete agreements. A lot of the kind of ethical restrictions we're talking about are similar to the kinds of non-compete agreements that have become a regular practice for senior executives. You can see it for fast food workers. I would argue that's probably going a bit too far, but it's certainly a practice we see in the private sector because they understand they have something valuable worth protecting. And we think that the uh, sensitive national security information of the United States is worth protecting and not just through our uh, classification system, but also through our system for ethics. Right on. So in your report, not only do you, you're creating your own database, which kind of competes with the federal database, which is incomplete according to the IG report, and you list actually individuals and a lot of really relevant information that I think citizens would be interested in reading. So I recommend folks to check out your database and check out your report. But you also come up with recommendations both for the executive branch and for Congress to fix this revolving door issue. Can you run through a couple for the executive branch and a couple for Congress? Not all of them, because we want to tease people and right. have them go read your report. But. So um, <clears throat> when it comes to the executive branch, one of the first things that we would like to see is make your revolving door database public. Show how you're actually protecting the integrity of this system. We think that trans going to be the best medicine for a lot of these kinds of issues. The other thing we would really like to see is more reporting on the meetings that are occurring mm. between these former senior officials and current officials. And I think through that, we can have a more informed debate about whether we think the system as it is is sufficient or whether we do need to have more constraints. When it comes to Congress, we would like to see changes to the laws. Right now, we have an appendix in this report where you can kind of see how confusing all the different ethics laws and provisions are. Those should be simplified and it should be made much clearer. And we need to stop this kind of gamemanship where it's okay if you used to work on a Lockheed program for you to go work for Lockheed afterwards if it's a different division. Like a lot of the provisions in place don't pass the common sense SNP okay. test. And if we can bring common sense back to these policies, I think we're gonna see much more integrity in the system. 
and folks can actually go to report brass parachutes, defense contractors, capture Pentagon officials through the revolving door, and read in detail all the all the full set of recommendations, both for the executive and for Congress. Are there champions, or have there been champions in the recent past in either the House or the Senate who've been pushing some of these common sense reforms? Yes. Yeah, so as we mentioned, Senator McCain was certainly someone who understood this problem. We've seen Senator Warren has also been concerned about this issue and, you know, questions the different appointees who have ties to the defense industry about how they're going to constrain themselves. I would say generally both, you know, all of the oversight committees, so Representative Elijah Cummings has been very good on this issue as well. And both, you know, previously, President Obama and President Trump, they both understood the problems here and they put executive orders in place to try and constrain these issues. They just haven't gone far enough. And, you know, I think there is a degree to which kind of Washington takes over this common sense policy making. Well, you, you started this out by saying it's a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks all the good ideas down and kills them. Um, you know, when I introduced you uh, earlier, I, you, I said you're, for the, you're, with this, you're the director of the Center for Defense Information at POGO. Um, <clears throat> you guys do a lot of different reports, and I just obviously we're highlighting this particular report in this conversation. Tell, tell us all about the Center for Defense Information and some of the other issues that you work on. Absolutely. So <clears throat> both CDI and POGO, we were founded by people who came from the Department of Defense and were concerned about unaffordable weapon systems. And whistleblowers are kind of core to how we approach a lot of our issues. Uh, so we do a lot of work on just the budget generally, weapon systems, are they actually effective, in addition to concerns about cost overruns. We look at contracting practices as well to see is this going to help taxpayers get a fair deal. And increasingly, we're also looking at war powers and just helping Congress to reassert itself in conducting oversight in our foreign policy and our national security. Article in Section 8. Yes. <laughs> it might be nice if they reasserted themselves and got a spine. Uh, where can people learn more about this particular um, report and, and then more generally about POGO and, and uh, your center? Oh, yeah. So come to pogo.org. You can learn about both the Project on Government Oversight and the Center for Defense Information. We have lots of resources available for you. For people who want to learn more about how we're strengthening Congress, we also have our Congressional Oversight Initiative where we provide monthly trainings to congressional staff as well. So. We're trying to do everything we can to make sure that everyone is held to the same standards and held accountable. Awesome. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you.